0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legal Brief. I'm Misty Maris, and I'm here with my executive producer, Lauren Mincer-Clark. And today, I want to break down the lawsuit between Dave Portnoy and Business Insider. This has been getting so much attention. So
1: much attention. Everyone's talking about this right now.
0: Everybody's talking about it. And Lauren, can you give us some of the background, what led to this moment? Because Dave Portnoy has been... Basically saying that he was going to bring a lawsuit against business for a while now, and this week it happened.
1: And now it's here. And so the Barstool Sports founder is now suing the digital news outlet Insider.com over the publication of two separate stories that quoted women accusing him of sexual misconduct and assault. And now Portnoy is obviously saying that his business and reputation have been damaged based on these accusations that he claims are completely false. Misty, though, the accusations are strong and big and sound very scary. So can you kind of take us through the timeline of how, because you said he's been talking about this happening on social media, He, you know, but it's all here now. So kind of take us to the beginning of this.
0: Yeah, so there was an expose in, uh, and this was November 4th. Insider correspondent Julia Black reported that three women had sexual encounters with Dave Portnoy, which she quoted as being, Frightening and humiliating. Uh, Two women said that he choked and filled them without their consent. Now, he's denied these accusations. And he did what a lot of high profile people do not do uh, when faced with of accusations. He went online. Immediately. Immediately. And he posted a whole... Um, he, he, a whole statement on his Instagram, and he went through the accusations and he talked about how they were false. He even, by blacking out the names of some of the women that, uh, allegedly came forward, and they all, they all were under pseudonyms. So he tried to figure out who these people were, and he actually provided additional text messages, more context. He tried to, uh, basically undercut the claims that were made in this article by providing a little bit more information and making his statement. And Lord, if you remember, when he made the statement online, he said, my lawyers told me not to do this. Yes. But I'm doing it anyway because I, I want to push back. So yes. this is the first article. But so he denied those accusations. And then uh, for, for a bit, we didn't really hear too much about the situation. He had pushed back. But then just a few weeks ago, Portnoy took to social media again saying that insider reached out to him regarding another piece. And he says that he provided evidence that undercuts these more accounts of this type of uh, behavior, which insider was reporting. And he said if they printed it, that he would take action, which he did. So let's go through what happened here. So he is claiming that these two exposés were defamatory. Um, he mm-hmm. also is bringing claims against individuals and insiders, CEO Henry Blodgett, global editor-in-chief Nicholas Carlson, and writer Julia Black. They're all named as defendants, and he filed this case in in federal court. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying is that these two stories describe him as assaulting three unnamed women and recording them without his consent. And he's saying that he's being spun as a sexual predator in these cases. So his lawyers flatly deny the accusations. They say that these accusations are outright fabrications. And the complaint goes as far as to say that these accusations by insider were made with malicious intent, and that the purpose of them was just clickbait journalism, basically just a way for Insider to gain readership and for uh, to, to for, for people to become interested in this article. courtnoy says in this complaint that the the article was devoid of any of the information that he provided that would have negated mm. these claims or would tend to refute the claims. Uh, and he said that this was not honest reporting and it was just a just a ploy to gain revenue. Uh, he also says that this was just a ploy to exploit cancel culture and that Insider was looking to inflict maximum harm because it coincided with earnings announcements of Penn National game, Gaming. Now, so just so everybody understands, Penn owns a 36% right. bar stool. So he's his, his, in, essence, in essence, he says that, number one, these stories were false and grossly mischaracterized to portray him as a criminal, and that, number two, the reason for the printing of these stories was specifically to harm uh, Penn National Gaming and also to harm his reputation. He also makes an argument, this is a legal argument, that these stories amount to defamation per se.
1: Which is a legal
0: term. And it means that the false statements made are so obviously damaging to his reputation that he does not actually have to prove monetary damages. Uh, hmm. and, and there is case law out there that says if you huh. also claim that somebody committed a crime, and that's one category, that it could be defamation per se under the law and again those are technical legal arguments that are going to come up and so portnoy is saying that this article is spinning them to have committed two types of crimes first sexual assault and then unlawfully these women so that's the gist of what's going on here and there and there's a lot of specifics but let's talk about what this really means from a legal point of view because defamation lawsuits are notoriously difficult plaintiffs to prove when they're public figures and Mm -hmm. there's a reason so what do you have to prove with defamation well you have to prove that a false statement was made that it was published or communicated to another person to a third person and when you're a public figure you actually have to prove that there was actual malice or a reckless disregard for the truth so as a regular person Lauren something not in the public eye The standard is only negligence. So if somebody prints something that is not true about somebody that's in the public eye, it just has to be that a reasonable journalist would have knew or should have known that it was not true. But when Mm -hmm. it comes to a figure, the standard is so much higher. And that's why it is actually really, really rare to see defamation cases. They make it into litigation. Usually they're dismissed. They're dismissed right away. They're dismissed on summary judgment. They're dismissed on motions to dismiss, and we don't really get in to the facts of the case. But right. uh, in this case, there's 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 a lot going on here. So let's go through some of what is is at stake here, because remember that actual malice standard. That means that there there has to be intent to harm.
1: Okay? Right.
0: So what, what facts is is Portnoy? Uh, Alleging that would tend because to
1: let's also remember is that Insider has doubled down. They have come back and said, I mean, that this is they are they are going to fight this case vigorously. And I think was one one of the terms that you know the editor in chief who was named in the lawsuit kind of said. So I yeah, break this down because we're going to see all this kind of playing out.
0: Absolutely. So every single fact in here that's printed in those Business Insider articles. All of that's going to be a separate analysis because think about it, if you break down what happened in this complaint, you're talking about three different women, and we're talking about various facts and circumstances that were put into these articles. So one could be a problem, while another well, another allegation could potentially be true, right? So it's it's mm. going to be a specific analysis. But here's some of the allegations that Dave Portnoy makes in support of his case. He says that Business Insider intentionally omitted exonerating or mitigating details. For instance, they included a police report that doesn't accuse Dave Fortnoy of any criminal mm-hmm. conduct. The way they reference and characterize the report in the article would make a reader think otherwise. Uh, they talk about a statement from the mother of one of the accusers that contained no allegations of rape, sexual assault, or any other crime. But again, the way that it's characterized in the article. Portnoy says, uh, amounts to defamation. And he talks about all of these various communications between Portnoy and an accuser that he uh, believes undermine the claims, however, printed in the article. So basically, he's using these facts in this complaint to say there was actual malice, that there was more information that was that that Newer should have known by the uh, by Julia Black, the writer, and ultimately the publication that because was left out the picture and making him look like a criminal. He also talks about the way Julia Black contacted him. So he says that Black emailed him back in April of 2021 asking for an interview request and said, There's no angle here. She's just interested in discussing how he built Barstool. Mm, right. This is during a time, if you remember, Dave Portner was really actively trading stocks, so he was all part of this. This was during COVID; everybody was home. Yes, <laughs> and yes. Day trader called himself. So this was during a time <laughs> where that was exploding, and he's becoming incredibly popular uh, with respect to that. And there was a big, big presence in social media. And she was she wanted to talk to him about that. Uh, he had declined, but later found out through other people that had contacted that had been contacted by Black. That this story was going to be focused on Poitner's interaction with women, and so he is essentially saying that that was a very nefarious way of contacting him, and that speaks
1: right. To that, I say that knowledge mm-hmm. and that, and, and, okay, uh,
0: that that the the writer as well as Business Insider had. So, uh, all of that is part of it. You know, pairing it with the. the 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 earnings reports for penn national you know all of that that's all going to speak to that allegation of actual malice and also that he had especially with the second article he provided information in advance to business insider that would tend to refute those claims and he's saying that they didn't even factor that in they just published the article anyway with complete guard for that information that was provided you know no retractions no nothing no nothing that um that incorporated the information that he provided into the article. That's part of his case. So, oh, and and also, Lauren, just don't forget because this is another important piece. He also alleges a claim for invasion of privacy, saying that Business Insider unlawfully disclosed private information without his consent, and that refers to personal text messages and social media me- messages. Uh, uh, and
1: that's well, I say, yeah, his
0: personal integrity. Okay. Like, feeling humiliated and ashamed, which is all part of that damages calculation. So, again, let's go back and talk about what a defamation or libel case, liable when uh, defamation writing, what you need to prove and why it's so incredibly difficult. So that actual malice standard, funny enough, it comes from a Supreme Court case back in 1964. It's a case that you learn about in law school. It's a case <laughs> that has, yeah, that, that it's... Wow. New York Times versus Sullivan, and it says to win a defamation suit, public figures must prove by clear and convincing evidence that a news organization acted with actual malice and either knowingly published a false statement or showed a reckless disregard for for the truth. So a couple of things here. First, what is the standard of proof? Clear and convincing evidence. What is that? Well, it's somewhere in between beyond a reasonable doubt and preponderance of the evidence. So it's a pretty high standard of proof of proof. It's more than what you usually see in a civil case. And then actual malice. So, look, these cases don't usually ever make it to trial. They get thrown out. Right, Very few of them get anywhere because the standard is so high for a public figure. But, interestingly enough, there's a lot going on in the world of defamation, right? right. There's actually a changing legal terrain, and there's a lot of cases that are being looked at uh, at this very moment. So, Dave Portnoy's lawsuit comes at a really interesting time when the law is is being scrutinized because many people say and this is legal scholars and 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 two Supreme Court justices have said this. And uh, again, this is not a, a it's not a, an opinion that isn't shared by a lot of people who are looking into this field. It's that. 1964, journalism was so different in 1964.
1: Absolutely.
0: That these standards just can't keep up with the fast-paced world of social media. Social
1: media, oh my gosh, absolutely. It's a completely different world.
0: Right, and a lot of people say, I think out and be the first and be the fastest when news stories are broken and when information comes to light. And they say that because of that, Motivation to be as fast as possible and be the first. The fact checking gets put to the wayside. Now, the flip side of the argument is that in matters especially pertaining to public interest, that that publishers and news organizations cannot be uh, threatened with liability at every turn. If the standard were to change more plaintiff right public figure had an easier time to bring a lawsuit that it would actually chill the first amendment it would chill free speech it would make it impossible for uh, for especially when it comes to you always talk about you know politicians or or any public figure or any matters of public interest that it would be problematic from that perspective if every single time information came to light that they were not able to, um, you know, get that information to the public because of the fear of litigation. So absolutely a lot of balancing of interest here, but right now there's another case that is in a different jurisdiction, but is being carefully watched from the perspective of what does it mean for a libel lawsuit. And that's Sarah Palin. Everybody remembers mm-hmm. Sarah Palin. She was, <laughs> uh, she, she ran for vice president you know, mm-hmm. she's a politician she's from Alaska and she <laughs> has a live it's going on now in New York. And, All right, yes, yep. And so she's dealing with this actual malice standard as a public figure, and that's the crux of the case the actual malice standard. And the other part of the case is damages, which is something that we talked about. So, uh, there's a couple of legal issues playing out. She actually testified yesterday, someone from the New York Times testified in their defense, and it's going to be an interesting case to watch. So just a little bit of history about that case. Sarah Palin's case was actually dismissed at the outset, like many of these cases like, are, yes. saying that it, did not, yeah, it didn't fulfill the standards that are required to bring a case as a public figure for defamation. Now, that decision was appealed, and the Second Circuit Federal Court said you know what? She's right. Mm. She does have to move forward with the case. So now this case is tried. And I got to tell you, Lauren, not a lot of these cases actually go to trial again because of that incredibly difficult standard. Right. So it's this case is really going to speak to what those parameters Interesting. Are ah, develop that set of case law with respect to that allegation of actual malice what does that mean and uh and how far can a publication go if they're reporting you know when you're talking about actual malice okay so it's it's publishing information that isn't true but what if it's grossly mischaracterized and that's that's where the portnoy issue is coming mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. argument especially since he's talking about all of the exoner- allegedly exonerating information that he provided and why wasn't that part of the article or why wasn't there retraction with respect to certain portions of it. So it's going to be a really interesting case to watch. So what are the defenses here? So yes. first, they're going to argue that the stories are accurate because the best defense to any defamation claim is truth. The truth. So yep. that will be part one. The second is talking about what, did Business Insider do in reporting the story? Did What kind of due diligence did they exercise? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Uh, how did they ensure that they were going to get this case right? And did and, and the information that they're putting to print correct? And the more that they can show that they vetted the information and did act responsibly in that sense, the better case they have. Because again, the standard is reckless disregard right actual malice you either have to intend for it to be harmful or you have to act so recklessly that it's it it just it had. there's no justification for it so that will be the second and again that's a big piece of the sarah palin case it's like what fact checking went on at the new york times when they published something that was allegedly not true and the new york times actually in the palin case retracted the statement but the court said that wasn't enough and that's mm. what at, at trial so We'll see how that plays out. It's really one to watch. Um, so the third for Business Insider is this is this is a matter of public concern. And they're going to be talking about that standard that we have set forth, the actual malice standard. And in, uh, in that case, I was talking about from 1964. And that's actually something that they've come out and said, that this is a matter of public concern. Right. Or as a public figure. And so, therefore... They had they were perfectly right in reporting it. That's that's their argument. Um, and then the the last claim, invasion of privacy. Usually, wh- how those cases are attacked is that because Portnoy has personally thrust himself into the public eye, he's a public figure. Uh, that his personal life is part of his public persona. But I mm-hmm. want to remind everybody of another landmark case that you and I covered, Lauren, and that was Gulf. <laughs> gawker v hulk hogan oh <laughs> you know,
1: yes oh was- my gosh yes
0: yep an edited sex tape and hulk hogan won an 140 million dollar judgment huge in that
1: yep case.
0: it's a similar legal theory uh so it's it's definitely uh, something to keep an eye on but look i think that portnoy's case right now at this moment this is the time to challenge this law, if you're going to, because there really is a lot of movement here. In fact, there's a case that's currently pending that it, it's entirely possible that this may take it up. It's actually being briefed. Really? Right? Yes. And if that case comes up, it will directly speak to this actual malice standard. It, and there have been two justices who, behind the scene have made the argument that we were just speaking about and that, and they wrote it in dissent. Okay. So uh, it's that the terrain of journalism has changed so much with social media that there is an argument to changing that actual malice standard and to making it a bit more lenient so that public figures have some recourse when information is published about them that is not true. So that's going to be incredibly important. So uh, this is going to be a case to watch because it could totally turn the law on its head and become a very, very different standard. So Portnoy's at the right time frame for bringing a case.
1: yeah.
0: Cases like, get thrown out right from the get-go. But this one could live on. Now, what do I think is going to happen? I think there'll be a motion to dismiss, just like you always see in these cases. And the other thing is, because we're going to be dealing with whether or not these facts are true, you know what's going to end up happening if this case were to go to trial? All Those women who did tell their stories to Business Insider, they're going to be on the stand. They're going to be questioned. They're going to be deposed about the... about what happened and about what they said to Business Insider. So there's a lot of moving parts here because maybe those women under pseudonyms were comfortable sharing that information with the publication. But right. We of, and it's a trial. What does that mean? How does that play out? What other types of evidence are there? Is there going to be um, all those electronic communications are going to come into play?
1: Well, I mean, and here's the thing: is he uh, from the beginning? He came out the gate and showed all of the evidence. You know that he was saying that he had from the get go. When you talk about when he was like, "Oh, my lawyer said that I shouldn't do this." I mean, he was laying it all out there. So, I mean. I can only imagine what I, he seemingly, you know, keeps saying this is I'm, I'm I'm I didn't want to do this. But to save my name here, it all is he, he put a lot of stuff out, out there already.
0: Yeah. A lot of information is out there and that will all be part of his argument is that right. there other information that was not included in those articles. So here's. Here's the issues. The big issue is can this case survive the motion practice that happens at the onset of these cases because of the incredibly difficult standard? He's making an argument in the complaint, Portner is making this argument that it's defamation per se, because one of the critical elements of the case is damages. In fact, that's one of the issues in Sarah Cleveland's case, is that she didn't suffer any financial loss.
1: Uh, mm. Oh, said, okay.
0: Yeah, she said that right, it was emotional that she was very distraught about it, but she hasn't had any tangible financial loss. Portnoy is getting around that by alleging defamation per se. So he's not alleging that he had financial loss. He's saying that because he's being accused of, a, of criminal conduct, that it's so egregious that he doesn't even have to show that it actually created some sort of financial implication. He can also seek emotional distress, which again, that that's, that's another component. But, He's trying to get around that because without damages, the claim could fail on its face. Now, there's a question mark mm. in the uh, district where this case is venued whether or not that standard of defamation per se actually applies to public figures. So that's going to be one of those really technical legal challenges the damages component, the actual malice component. Look, I actually think on its face, and again, it's a standard. When you're looking at a complaint, filed by a plaintiff. Mm -hmm. So in this case, Dave Portnoy is the plaintiff. Business insider is the defendant and the the individuals that are also named. The court has to assume that the allegations in the complaint are true when they're making a determination on a motion to dismiss. So they have to pretend like if everything in this complaint is true, then does it fulfill the, the cause of action and the elements of that cause of action of defamation or libel under the statute? So... The facts that Portnoy has provided about actual malice
1: and Mm -hmm. that
0: particular standard that speak to this pointed decision to print these articles without fully vetting the information or by severely miscarrying the information, again, his argument, and the fact that it came mentally with the earnings announcement of Penn National Gaming, Maybe mm-hmm. that's the to, to law that over the fence to get to the point where you go through discovery and you go through litigation and you go through depositions, which is the next step. So, it, it, again, it's such an interesting time for these types of cases. Uh, looking at Palin v. New York Times, that case was dismissed, just like all of these cases are, just like it's right. common for these cases to be dismissed. Right. And it was reversed on appeal. Because the appellate court said there's enough here to go to trial. Now she's on trial. Portnoy's arguments are slightly different because he's saying he's been uh, accused of criminal conduct. He's trying to make this argument that he does not have to show damages, which is oftentimes a difficult part for plaintiffs to prove. And so there's a lot of legal nuance issues here if the Supreme Court takes this case up, which we'll probably know next term whether or not they're going to, could that standard actually change? It's it's actually such an interesting time for a case like this. And it's going to be really uh, important to watch how this plays out. Because, again, there's an argument on both sides of the coin with respect to where the law stands today on defamation. And a lot of it relates to the fact that the standard from the Supreme Court is from the 60s. And many people say that it needs to evolve. It needs to evolve with time. Right. Because we're different mediums now. And then others say the First Amendment is so important that we can't do anything to chill uh, the ability for news organizations to get information that's in the interest of the public out there. So it's. This is going to be one to watch for. Wait, um, we're going to watch It's it really interesting because but it very and it very much
1: affects le- exactly what we do. I mean because uh, this is reporting and you know when you go on but, but exactly what you're talking about? I mean this is I am held to a standard as a producer, and when I'm reporting on true crime stories, and you know, you got to do reach outs, you got to get both sides of the story. I've got to report both sides of the story. It's just, you know, there's just levels of things that you, you know, you have to do, but also the times are changing and there's different rules. But this is very much going to impact, you know, our industry.
0: Uh, Absolutely. This is such an important case, something to watch. Again, Sarah Palin versus the New York Times. So the Supreme Court case that. Another case to keep your eye on is whether or not the Supreme Court takes up a case when in October of 2021, a Christian ministry uh, oh, is overturned a lower court's decision dismissing its libel case against the Southern Poverty Law Center, which labeled the ministry a hate group. So there, a response is due while oh, wow going on. So it's going, it could give this particular case could give the Supreme Court the opportunity to take a look at that actual malice standard. The court, the Supreme Court has not really, has not taken this issue up. They have not accepted cases relating to that legal issue. And in fact, that's how we know that there's at least two justices who had written in dissent Mm -hmm. uh, that the, the, Mm -hmm. the issue needed reviewed. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on. It can absolutely impact uh, the terrain for news organizations. And and he said, my lawyers told me I might not be successful because I've got legal challenges and he doesn't care. He's bringing it anyway. So certainly a case to watch.
1: No, absolutely. I think that it's interesting. And what was the timeline on um, Palin's trial? How is that? What's the timeline on that?
0: Well, she just testified yesterday. So Mm -hmm. that trial is going to be wrapping up soon. I mean, that's okay.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely need to be following it. Yep.
0: Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on closing arguments.
1: Fantastic. Well, Missy, this is all really interesting. Definitely big things that are in the news right now that we need to stay on top of and that we will be bringing to everyone, to all of you listeners uh, as they keep moving forward.
0: Yes, for sure. Keep an eye on it. And we will be right here covering every
1: twist and turn with these cases. Yes, as, as they only continue to grow, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Legal Brief, and we'll be back next week with more content.
1: Thanks so much, everyone.